Keep in mind that a fruit of the spirit is patience, and that includes bad customer service. Oh, I thought you were going to say we have to be patient while you share the story that you teased the last week. You did have to be patient over the past week if you were on the edge of your seat. The Anything But Quiet Time podcast where Rochelle and Carter... And we bring a little something, something from our quiet time every single week. And hopefully you can add to it with what God is doing in your life. It's Mm -hmm. always amazing to me that you can bring your quiet time to a group setting. And it's like, oh, God's working on that with you. Hey, this is something he's working on with me, too. Mm -hmm. And then it somehow connects. He's God. He's awesome. Well, there you go. Um, It was uh, last week that I talked about my dad and the customer service story. That is so pain. The story's not long, but the, his process was painstakingly long in trying to get. We've all had bad customer service things. We have. I don't really like talking about it much. I get all worked up. I know. We get worked up about it. I think <laughs> my dad's learned patience as he's gotten older. And plus, it was just too funny not to just laugh about. He needed something specific. Don't ask me about it, but he needed a trolling motor fixed. Again, I have no idea. He needed a trolling motor fixed. Oh, don't ask me about the thing. Sorry, patience, fruit of the spirit. Um, And so it was not in where he lived. It wasn't just run down the street and get it fixed. He had to search out some guy that was like an hour away. Grateful for Google nowadays. That's exactly right. And judging by this guy, I'm surprised he was on Google my dad gets all the way over there and he's working in like a, a mobile out of his mobile home, a, oh. a shop to the side of it. OK, but he's a good old boy. It seems like he knows what he's doing. He's a jack of all trades. So my dad drops it off. You get it. Can you fix this? I mean, I think he had like a piece of wheat in his mouth. He's that type <laughs> of guy, right? Yeah, I suppose I get that fixed. I mean, just slow yeah. molasses Only spilling out of your mouth. One of his overall straps works. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yes. OK. <laughs> and so my dad. He really needed it pretty fast for what he does. Uh, but a couple weeks go by, hasn't heard. He calls the guy. He goes, hey, so-and-so, did you get that uh, trolling motor fixed? Oh, yeah. Well, here's the problem. Uh, I know what's wrong with it. but And it's a $5 part. But I'm going to have to wait a while. Okay, so this has been two weeks already, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he figured out what, well, that's good. We've moved in the right direction, uh-huh, uh-huh. just like a turtle pace. My though. dad never received a phone call, but <laughs> why, why, why are you going to have to wait? Well, going to have to wait for the next time I do a big order, because shipping's $10, and it's a $5 part. And my dad says, I'll, I'll pay the $10. Oh. You'll pay the $10 for shipping on a $5 part? Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind doing that. All right. And so he gets the door. I'll let you know. I'll let you know when it comes in. Another week or two goes by. My dad. Hey, did you get that part in? Did you get it fixed? Yeah, I got the part in. But uh, I got to get to somebody else's thing first. How come? Well, he called and made an appointment. Yeah. What was mine? So, Am I, was mine not an appointment? A month ago when I called you. <laughs> was that, I should have said the magic word appointment? There was an initiation process. <laughs> and so to wrap it up, my dad finally goes. The guy did get it fixed. I think it worked and everything. But when my dad paid, he gives him the credit card uh-huh. and he said, uh, well, you want a receipt? And he's like, yeah, if you could email that. And the guy just has like one of those little squares that goes in your phone because he's, you know, he's a, obviously self-employed. Oh, okay. So yeah. you swipe the credit card in the little square he has. Sure. 
And my dad uh, says, yeah, if you don't mind, mind email, emailing me the receipt. And the guy, the guy goes, no problem. And of course, I'm sure he's scanning it very slow. There you go. Have a good day. And my dad, <laughs> my dad said, I didn't give you my email. And the guy goes, oh, it just knows. <laughs> Oh, I love him. And so my dad said, hey, I see you have like one of those carbon copy receipts. Can I get a physical copy there? Well, if you insist. Yeah, yeah I do. I do. I think that's the only one I'm going to get out of this. Oh, my so, goodness. Uh, it, was humor- it was humorous enough to deal with, yeah. with a patient attitude. But I do think there's some aspect to it where 30 years ago, my dad would have, are you kidding me? Okay. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I think life teaches you that. To enjoy the little things in the midst of the frustration. Yeah, I mean, and back in the day, when you wanted something like that, you'd have to go to, what, the general store or whatever, yeah. and you put an order in, and you had to wait for the catalog order to yeah, get that in. That is true. So everybody was forced into patience. Nowadays, we have been trained to get instant gratification. Yeah, Amazon will have it to you in an hour. That's right. You know? Do you want a chicken? You don't have to wait four hours for it to cook. You go get a rotisserie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if you don't want to actually have to walk into a store, just go through the drive through at KFC. You and, know? and there's nothing wrong with modern things, but my goodness, does it teach us to be impatient. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's yeah. a, a really a good thought to have. It can if we let it take control, but it's, yeah. it's awesome that your dad was just, <sighs> just breathing. <laughs> Plus, he knew he'd have a story. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he's going to have a great story. But yeah, it's just, yeah, okay. Uh, and I understand that there's also there's also such a thing as good customer service, you know, and sure I don't know. that there can be I'm sure you can improve. The guy can improve a little bit. But <sighs> what's going on with you? <laughs> uh, so I I think we talked about last week venturing into the New Testament It's something new that Rochelle has walked chronologically through the Bible and Somewhat you are, chronologically, yes. are here yes. uh, at the New Testament I'm here. And when you read through Matthew uh, which is believed to, to have been written by the tax collector, Matthew, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of been attributed to him traditionally because uh, he mentions himself in a way that is never mentioned in any of the other Gospels. So yeah. I have read through Matthew and I am now in the book of Mark, which is it's believed to have been written before the book of Matthew was written. I think it was the first one, yeah. according to most scholars, of the four. And they believe that it was compiled so that those sharing the story of Jesus, uh, things were a little bit more explained, I think, so that a Gentile audience, which is everybody who's not Jewish, mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. be able to understand this is, you know, the way that things were done and shouldn't be done. And so I'm kind of in the midst of Mark, but they, obviously there are different accounts um, which are similar in each gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, which always kind of baffles me a little bit because, you know, you, you don't have any food. Jesus has put on all this work all day long. Dog tired, I'm sure. Healing people, preaching to people. And uh, yeah, I, I would imagine it was one of those things where after he feeds the multitude of people, if you know the story, he's only got a couple fish and he's got five loaves of bread. And the disciples, he's like, all right, you feed them. Because they're like, we should send these people away. Well, you feed them. Mm-hmm. What? Literally, if you've seen a handful of the miracles that Jesus has done, sh- should we be astounded at this point? But uh, he takes the food. He doesn't look at the food. He doesn't look at what I think is as the problem in Mark specifically, and it could say this in Matthew. I just, I just recently read Mark. It says that he, he looked heavenward and he blessed it. And I thought, Oh, that's so good. 
Lord, help me to always keep my eyes set on you. Because if I've got you and everything else in the peripheral, you know, I'm not paying attention. I've got my, my blinders on. And I'm seeking you first. Mm-hmm. All these things will be added. And so Jesus not only asks us to put that into motion, which, you know, that's one of my favorite verses, Matthew six thirty three, and seek first the kingdom of heaven. But he puts it in. He's, he's walking out what he's preaching, right? Yeah. By looking towards heaven, blessing the food. It gets multiplied to the group of 5,000, which is the first account. Um, there's like 12 baskets left over. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, yeah, and, and yes, we recognize women and children maybe getting the short end of the stick on this count, perhaps, and I would have to research this. This is how they would do it. It's like, okay, instead of counting people, we're just going to count families or mm-hmm. heads of families. So they, they roughly estimated 5,000 men and their families. So, I mean, we're talking a big old crowd of people. They have 12 baskets left over from two fish and five loaves of bread. And then you give it a uh, give it a beat, and there's another instance where <laughs> where they need more food. And like, oh, what are we gonna do? And it's like, oh, huh, I wonder what we're gonna do. <laughs> it just it never surprises me. There's also this one instance where he does the same thing with four thousand people, um, and it's believed that that group was primarily because it was in I. Um, the Tyre Sidon area, a Gentile heavy area, that it would have been mostly Gentiles observing this now, where there's seven loaves of bread and a few fish, it says in scripture. So whatever that looked like. And he feeds this crowd of people. Again, 4,000 guys and their families and seven baskets are left over. And so after that happens and they've just, oh, I don't know what you, we're in a desert. Why where are we going to get the food? <laughs> How quickly we forget. Yeah. But that's such an observation of 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 our time with the Lord, isn't it? I mean, every single day I have to be reminded of his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wish that wasn't the case. I wish I just was able to step out in faith without ever going. I wonder if he will if he will be with me today, you know? Yeah. But uh then they get on this boat and they start talking. <laughs> they start talking about the fact that they didn't bring any bread with them. They like brought a loaf. After all that, oh, we forgot to bring a snack. And so he's basically talking to them about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he uses the example of yeast. And he said, beware the yeast of these Pharisees. What does yeast do? It causes bread to rise. It's the stuff in it that kind of ignites bread mm-hmm. and puffs it out. And you beware that your bread isn't getting contaminated with what these guys are trying to sell, which instead of being guided to the truth, being guided to light by the law to Jesus, they tripped themselves up on the law that was meant to guide them. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was their thing. And they were like, oh, why is he talking about yeast? He must be talking about the fact we don't have any bread. I laughed out loud when I read that. I was like... Yeah. And at this point, I don't know that Jesus was laughing anymore. He's like, are you serious? No joke. <laughs> no, it says he never angered. I mean, he never sinned in his anger per se. But I, but I would after a while, you know, one of those thumps upside the head that sometimes uh, good friends do with each other. Guys, seriously? No, I'm not talking about that. What yeah. do you think I'm talking about bread? I just fed 4,000 and their families. And you're worried about bread? Do you not understand yet? I think we'll be okay. <laughs> So that was what I was going over. But it dawned on me with with the two different crowds. Why would these two crowds be shared? 
Why wouldn't they just kind of bring it all up in the same story? Hey, there was this one time he did it this way, and there was this one time he did it that. He did it separately, and I think the, because it, there was the group of people primarily Jewish and the secondary group primarily Gentile, and he did it for both. Mm-hmm. And it, it just fascinated me how many baskets were left over And sometimes uh, the narrative, you hear a number put out there and it's tradition or symbolism that's more attached to the number as opposed to it being maybe an exact count because it means something like 12, you think 12, well, yes, disciples, but you think 12 tribes. Hmm. And then you could even go so far as like I was reading about how the number three is significant in scripture and three times four, which is another significant number in scripture, gets to 12. But it's it's about authority. It's about um, whenever you hear the number 12, it's easily connected to the Jewish people. That's how many baskets were left over. The number seven is a very significant number as well. And so for the Gentile group, seven baskets left over. It is a number of um, let me make sure I'm saying this right, because I want to make sure I'm not. It's just, a number of perfection, as, as I understand. That's it. what I understood, too. I want to make sure. I'm OK. The divine number of completion. OK. General number. Uh, a general symbol for all association with God, um, specifically Judaism is what it's connecting to. I just thought that was fascinating as well, that both of these, I, I just, that the Lord would give this food to both people. Mm-hmm. And it's so completely tied in with what you read through the Old Testament scripture. Some people, I think, in Jesus's day would have probably disqualified the Gentiles. Oh, certainly. And so once again, no, 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 no. See how I'm bringing it all together. The, that completion, and I don't know if we know that for sure of what, you know, it's a literal number or was it supposed to be sure. symbolism or what, but it would make sense mm-hmm. for, especially for the Gentiles, uh, completion, that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Bringing everybody together. And mm-hmm. I, I'm still, I think everybody's a little confused on, especially because it gets to end times and how Israel is still significant and still God's chosen people, but they're uh, lost right now, or, you know, the majority are, and but they're going to come back to him. But yeah. I, I get confused on all this, but I do know the importance for, for me and you, I mean, I guess, unless you listening are Jewish, um, is that we are all, yeah. because of Christ's death, involved and accepted into this family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I think it, it happened well before um, Jesus was here because it was there were footprints all over Scripture that that share that this is for all nations. It was prophesied about the the gentleman who made the I don't know if you've heard the term the sea, but it's this huge bowl that was created for the temple area. Um, it it was all these things were hammered out by a gentleman who was part Gentile, part Jewish. From my understanding, who was this? This, I don't remember his name, but I remember reading it thinking, oh, my gosh, the guy who's handling the stuff that is going to be huh. just super sacred, right? Yeah. This is the big stuff. It gets carried through Solomon's temple days and like it gets even stolen by Nebuchadnezzar. But then they have all of this in their warehouse. Like this stuff was super sacred. And this was made by not a fully Jewish person. It was a big deal back in the day, or you you would have thought it. I think it would have been. I mean, I, there's not a whole lot of emphasis put on it in scripture, but it, I say that it was definitely mentioned that his mother was from here and his father was from there. Hmm. It's like, 
Huh. Uh, let me clarify what I, I meant, too, because I, I think I said that wrong. What? We're all accepted, and because I, I said something, unless you're Jewish, everybody is accepted in. I just meant that Gentiles are adopted into uh, this oh, yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. I just made that clear. Any person, obviously, through the death of Jesus, and there's mm-hmm. only one way to salvation. It doesn't mean that if you're Jewish that Jesus, you're fine even if you don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, Jesus is the way for everybody, but just that that Gentile part, you or I generally living in America, yeah. we're the ones adopted into this as, quote, Gentiles. There's an incredible encounter, too, that sometimes it leaves people going, ooh, I don't get that, or that makes me uncomfortable because that doesn't feel like the compassionate Jesus that I come have come to know except as my Savior and have a relationship with. When a Syrophoenician woman approaches Jesus, and he's in this area, this Gentile area, and uh, she has a daughter, Scripture says, is afflicted by a demon, and she's begging him, please come heal my daughter, please come heal my, heal my daughter. And he's kind of, I think, brushing her aside. And I personally think that he's testing her. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps there are people observing him, and he wants to know that the ones who are truly following him or truly seeking after truth are going to stick with him on this. But he's brushing her aside, brushing her aside. And she's like, please, please, please. And he said a term that um, a lot of people uh, during that time period, anybody who wasn't of Jewish birth, they would have been looked upon as something lesser than, maybe even been termed a dog. And he uses that term for this woman. It says, why would I take from the children, referring to the Jewish children, the Hebrew children, and give to the dogs? And then she makes that comment, but even the children will drop crumbs from the table and the dogs will be able to take that. She, I, I feel like in that moment, it's not about, hey, you Gentiles aren't good enough to be a part of it, because clearly we see him feed thousands and thousands of Gentiles and devote so much time to loving on them on this specific account this day. And uh, so clearly it's not about racism at all, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's for the benefit of the woman herself. Perhaps how much will she come to me? Will she keep coming to me? Will she keep seeking me out? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's even something that you've experienced in your own prayer time. It's like, Lord, I, did you not hear me the first time? You know, why are you tarrying on my, that's a real biblical word. Why are you waiting? Why hast thou tarry <laughs> in my, why is your answer? I waited on thee. <laughs> uh, but I, I honestly don't have the answer. We can guess all day long as to why he exactly did it the way he did. And I think that with so many different accounts, why is it that with the paralytical man, the guy who's paralyzed and he's dropped down the roof on a stretcher, why is it that his, it, it, what scripture says is that he looks at his friends and it's kind of like because of the faith of his friends. Mm-hmm. He was so overwhelmed with their faith. He forgives the man. Mm-hmm. That's kind of strange, isn't it? I yeah, for, I, I, would never, I would never say, never say to anybody, hey, you want your friend to be a Christian? You have enough faith for them and they'll be good. Yeah. I would never and yet Ever say we that. have this biblical account that makes us go, Lord, what were you up to there? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But there was an audience. There was an audience of people that I think he knew what was going on in their hearts. And it wasn't just for the person who needed healing. It was for the people in obs- who were observing, who were struggling with getting tripped up, on, maybe on the law that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. 
that mm-hmm. they needed to witness something that made them go, this is different. What's going on here? They needed to have their foundation shook a little bit. And so then he goes on to ask, you know, well, you guys are having a problem with me forgiving this man his sin. Is it easier for him to walk or to be forgiven? Uh, and, and he does both. And so it's like, well, why wouldn't he just do both at once? But again, there was, there's always a reason why Jesus does the, the mm-hmm. way he did it. So. Well, and he, he told the uh, rich young ruler, mm-hmm. um, there's a guy that was, you know, had some significance and, and was studied. And clearly just by, by the account, it looks like he wants to make a name for himself. Yeah. And it sounds like it was more about a prideful statement of, it, it was it well, clearly it was because um, he insists to Jesus that he's obeyed all the commands. I have nailed all of them. And and Jesus says, then go sell all your stuff and you'll be you'll be good with eternal life. And yeah, he tucks tail and runs. Exactly. Cries. And yeah. It's not a requirement to sell all your stuff to mm-hmm. get to God because he never says that anywhere <laughs> no. again to anybody. But he there was something about that personal aspect where Jesus knew who was approaching him. And knew what to say. There was a flair, I bet, to the storytelling by the the apostles when they were retelling what they had witnessed. And they probably had a way of sharing it that was, uh, everybody understood exactly what they were talking about. We Mm -hmm. did not live, though, at this time. Mm -hmm. So we don't have necessarily the context that the culture would have already brought automatically. Yeah. You know, even if they did voices as they were sharing the story, you know, it would have been incredibly like, wow, that really happened. And more than likely, uh, especially because with with a lot of the parables, I think people didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And it was the the disciples who later would come back and ask Jesus, what, what did you mean by that? And that's why he, even Jesus said, I really want to weed out the ones who are truly seeking after truth from the ones who just aren't in it right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I we were talking about lifting things from context, I think, last week. And it's so important if you just read the story about the woman being called a dog in one piece there and you don't see the the other story of him loving and serving the other people who had just as, uh, you know, Gentile a background. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> then you you miss it. You miss the fact that, oh, well, he was a racist. No, he wasn't. Yeah, there is a false narrative out there. Uh, I've. I heard a crazy pastor online teach that. And so you got to know what is the context? What is the story? You have to read the whole thing. You got to read the whole thing. So, yeah. yeah, that's it's just kind of fun to to go through all these things and go, Lord, I'm glad that every single day uh, when I read these, I mean, it's hopefully because it's alive. His word is alive and he wants to share who he is with you. And do not, I have to tell myself this, don't, don't get overwhelmed because sometimes I do. It's like, why can't I get a definite answer? Um, why is it that he's telling, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in one beat? It's not what you eat that makes you clean. It's the words that come out of your heart that makes you clean. But there was such a direct command back in the Old Testament law. I would understand why these folks would be so confused by it. But he saw through to their heart and understood where they were at in terms of priority. And it was not people loving God and loving people. It was loving themselves. Yeah. And so he was constantly combating what it was that they thought was most important. And so when we read that, it's not to read it as a contradiction to what he shared in, in, in the, you know, what was shared in the law and the first five books of the Old Testament it was meant to let me just 
let me help broaden your understanding because you have valued laws that actually you've even made up more than what really God was meaning all the time. Yeah. I often wonder what Jesus would focus on, you know, if he were here, if he chose to come now yeah. for the first time. And uh, I, cause I, I hate know. it. I hate it when people say, well, Jesus would be about this and it's their political movement or their, you, you know, whatever. Keep it. I just got to hold everything that I think I know loosely, except for, and I always come back to this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do I believe in the son that he came and he died for me because that was the only way on the cross that he rose again for me. And when I keep coming back to that, then I can hold it in such a way that I don't get um, bamboozled by it. You know, that's where I was yeah. talking about getting overwhelmed. It's like, I just doesn't make sense because he wants to unfold these things. And he says, my burden is easy and light. If that's true, then I'm not meant to be bogged down by scripture. It is meant to free me. There are certainly many discussions and movements and political and social uh, things that come up. And I've seen many people say, you know, the Bible says this about this. I saw somebody say Jesus was a, was a anti-capitalism and, you know, and all of this stuff. And a lot of that, I would love to talk about any of it with anybody. <laughs> but the one thing that I just can't get past is somebody said, the Bible never says that there's an atonement needed and Jesus dying on the cross was for our sins. And I'm sitting here going, <laughs> what? What did you not read the whole thing? I mean, what on earth? And and that's that's my sticking point. I'm like, no, that's that's the part every yeah. time I can ignore the rest or have a casual conversation. That's the part where I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. That's the point. That's the point. Otherwise, why would he have done it? Yeah. And it says it a million times in Hebrews, the once and for all sacrifice. Yeah. And I, again, you got to go back to, OK, well, well then why symbolically did he have to go through those things? And I, well, first of all, it was all about because he is a just God and um, he loved us. Yeah. So with the combination of those two things, it leads, there has to be someone who can undo and the only one who can undo the wrong that we have done. The one who made the law in the first place is our God. He, he wrote the standard. He wrote morality into being, right? He is, he is. I am that I am. And that's always kind of a confusing thing. But it's like everything that we gauge what is good, we may be thrown off when we find out something that we don't necessarily find comfortable is sure. good. But it's because he has established this is this is my character. This is who I am. But And I, and, I go back to if I was all power, if I could create my own world mm -hmm. and instill my my value, just me currently and instill my values and say, you know what's good for you? Yeah. Burritos. <laughs> you know what's not good for you? Four-way stops. I hate them. It's not in my nature. Yeah. And they would mess it up as we all, as we have, you know, for the real God and as my fake world would for me. And, and so it just is. Yeah. Because his, that's just his nature is everything that you read in the Bible. Just but loving, Patient, it, it yeah. just is, even if we don't understand it in every situation. Right. Exactly. And we have a very Western civilized way of um, establishing what we believe to be good. And um, I think uh, there's a lot of comfort there. We go to other places around the world. I think we would be uh, we would encounter some different. Um, yeah. Philosophies yeah. on theology, actually. So theology, too. That's right. But uh, I yeah, I think that. God is who he is, and because he is just, there was a 
problem. And just like a good judge, any good judge would not allow a uh, something wrong to go unpunished. Yeah. There was one who could and the only one who could was himself. Yeah. So he sent his son, the manifestation of God himself in son form. That's Jesus. A good, it's good to say, especially with where we're at as a society. I think you brought it up in a really good way. You start with love and justice and, yeah. then, and then say something's got to give. And so that's why Jesus had to come yeah. because of ultimate love. Because, yeah, he could just throw us all into hell. Sure. I mean, there's the justice part of it. Uh-huh. And so if you if you start where you did with those two things, and we're all about social yeah. justice nowadays. So I think it'd be a great way to explain why Jesus had to come. So when justice and, and love meet, maybe the word is grace. Maybe that's yeah. where it is. And it's on it's established on the cross through the death of Christ. And I mean, that's that's the foundation of what we believe. And so anybody who might come against that and say, no, that's not necessary. It's one of those things where I think sometimes just like with bad customer service, I was talking about you get riled up sometimes. And it's like, wait a second. Mankind is lost and it's my job as a follower of Christ to share good news with them. And if I get riled up, then there is no sharing that takes place. It's an attack. And I know that people, are, well, it's the spiritual battle. We, but we are not fighting against flesh and blood. In fact, it is God who fights against the enemy. We have his word to stand on, right? That's what I understand to be true. We put on the armor of God to, to defend ourselves. But at the same time, it is the only point of the attack is the sword of the spirit, which is his word. So am I truly out to get another person? No, actually, they're lost. And it's my job to to be the connection so that they can see who Jesus is and what he is for their world. Because I think once people grasp what atonement looks like, it may be offensive at first because they recognize, well, in order for an atonement to be needed, then I must have committed Something that's what people don't want to admit. I don't want to admit that I sinned. Yeah. But once you recognize, okay, those thoughts that you wish you hadn't had, those things that you've done that you wish you could get rid of, this is the only way for those things to be covered. And then I think in that moment, once you've released the thought of being defensive about offense, (laughs) then you actually should be able to step into pure joy of knowing, wait, somebody already took care of this for me? And all I have to do is receive it. I think what's astounding is that that's not always going to happen. A lot of the time, I think it's not going to happen. That's what's vexing. And that's what frustrates me is that they're going to continue saying a false narrative to to my loved ones, to my kid. My my son's going to grow up thinking this, whatever you want to call it, postmodern world or It's vexing, but what was Jesus' response to it? I go, I go back and forth on, on not only him, but also Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's the example that we always bring up of acknowledging what you can acknowledge. Also, I think Paul would debate you out of the barn. You know? Absolutely. But uh, would you stay for that and continue to debate somebody? I, I don't know. I think there was probably, yeah, I think you're right. He would debate people out of the barn, but at the same time, there would be something about him that would also keep people wanting more. Otherwise, he would have been kicked out of the—and he was. He was kicked out of a lot of places. He was taken out and beaten. Some They talk about him actually—I think they call it going to third heaven. It's the one where it's literally in the presence of God. Yeah, because actually what that is is um, 
how how the authors were describing it is you yes. have the sky There's is the first heaven. Atmospheric heaven where you, you have, and I are. You have space where the stars are. Where the celestial things are. That's another descriptive heaven. So if you're like breaking it down, it's like, well, which one do they mean? Kind of like you look in Webster's and you've got definition one, two, uh-huh. three. So he was literally in that place where... Yeah, he's in the presence of God. And so at that point, I guess maybe he died, (laughs) but he came back. But yeah, he was kicked out of a lot of places. So I would imagine that he stirred stuff up. But in one of his last letters, when he shares about love and he shares about it so detailed that you go, hmm, First Corinthians 13 didn't come out of thin air. I think that one was lived out a little bit as well as the Holy Spirit imparted these things to him. Yeah. So recognizing that, um, you know, don't keep that record of wrongs, even though, oh, gosh, I think that's one of my favorite ones that does me in with truly loving people well. I, I And I actually, that's what I had today is that Ooh. scripture. Okay. I want to say, though, I, I think you got to know your audience as well. Yeah. And I am going to be pretty bold if I'm going to, to literally debate an atheist on a podium. Yeah. Compared to just talking to the guy at work that says, I don't know, I just don't really believe in God because um, uh, bad stuff wouldn't be happening. I think your wording was the reason. I mean, that's the reason why it's different. You said debate versus just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to go into a coworker's office. What are you doing with your life? Yeah. How do you, could you say? You know, but I'm going to be a little more prepared and, and presentive, especially if I'm debating an atheist on a podium. Yeah. I'm I'm for the crowd. I, I couldn't do you know, that. I couldn't do that. It's it's hard. It's I don't hard think, yeah, and to I think watch. Some people can. They have no problem. They get nonplussed is the word, I think. Yes. They don't get their feathers ruffled. And yes. they're able to just stand there and talk matter of fact. Well, and they, that is not me. <laughs> and they have such a uh, a fun, it's like a uh, an academic outrage. It's like, <laughs> preposterous. You know, <laughs> you're like, but what I'd be saying is, are you stinking kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's what I'd be saying. Yeah. I have this image of the people wearing the, you know, the, the old timey wigs, the white powder wigs. <laughs> With the snuff box and the little glove they take off and slap the other person with. That's been gone a while. How dare you? But tell, we'll get to your childhood uh, here in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> that's not loving, but here's something that is. 1 Corinthians 13. Um, we were talking about this this balance of truth and, and love at church. And what is, what is love? What uh, is love? It's a great song. And the definition here was so good on what love is because we have a million definitions in the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Love is being nice. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and? Um, love is giving into what I want. Yeah. No. Love is supporting me no matter what. Mm. No. Mm-mm. This is so good. Love is the giving of myself to actively recognize someone's eternal worth. Say the, it again. The giving of myself to actively recognize someone's eternal worth. Well, that may be me serving at church. That may be me giving a bottle of water to somebody on the side of the road on a hot day that's clearly homeless. That may be choosing to uh, give in to the restaurant that my wife wants to go to. That may be telling someone that I truly love in an eternal way, you're you're not doing this right. Mm-hmm. I, I want to help call you on what what was wrong. And obviously there's there's a whole conversation we could have about how to do that. I'm also not gonna go to a stranger and say something like that more than likely. But you know, he 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 brought up, of course, the pastor brought up. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I give all I possess to the, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Of course, then the next few verses are usually here at a wedding, but it, it applies to more than just romantic love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And, and so when we look at, we've had this conversation on the podcast before, somebody giving a, a, typically it's a celebrity, but anybody that wants to give a big gift just for people's opinions and likes, it's not love. That was, that was the wrong motivation. And so we, we all have, you know, a, something to go on here and try to filter our underlying emotions to it. Cause I could feel, Oh, I'll just do this nice thing. Wait, why am I really doing this? Mm-hmm. Is it so someone will like me? Is it so I'll feel better about myself? And we've had that conversation too. It doesn't mean I won't feel good if I do something that's truly loving. Um, but I, I thought it to be uh, an incredible definition that I've just never heard it put that way. The mm-hmm. giving of myself to actively recognize someone's eternal worth. I kind of want to compare that to, uh, I believe it's Greek, agape. Yeah, that I just was wanna look a, a phrase used, certainly. Agape love. Uh, it means the fatherly love of God for humans, as well as the human reciprocal love for God. It extends to the love of one's fellow humans. Uh, it's unselfish. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty close. What about unconditional love? All of these, I think, mm-hmm. are kind of enveloped into the, what it truly means to love somebody well. I think when we put the conditions on it, it takes the servant part out of what you just defined as what love is. And you also said something like, I might not necessarily go up to a stranger and kind of share that with them verbally, but certainly that shouldn't keep us from doing it action-wise. Yeah, well, what I meant you know? is the lecture, <laughs> that I wouldn't do that to a, a stranger. Well, sit down and let me tell you about what real love is. Yeah. And, sir, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm more than likely, if I'm going to tell somebody they're doing something wrong in their life, more than likely, I'm going to already have a relationship with them. Yeah. I want to do better with just giving lip service. And truly, there are days like you give at work, you give, you give. And then when you come home, you're depleted. And you have just lived it out I'm pretty good. I feel like, yeah, I feel like maybe I was being Jesus today. Praise the Lord. Brought him some glory. And I'm not saying that in a way that's any way like congratulatory to myself. But then somehow we release that when we get home with people who should know better because they're my kids or my husband who I love very much. But you know where that goes or you know, whatever it is. Well, I, I mean, it's the it's they, the typical they, growing up. It's like uh, your mom's yelling at you and you do this and you do that. And then the phone rings. Hello. <laughs> Why do you like them more than me? Right yeah, now? yeah. It's, it's not that you like. I think because maybe our home is a safer place. Yeah. And we know there is unconditional love there to cover us when we get when we overreact or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things. Lord, what is it that happens between the two places where I where I feel like I lose some steam? Is there more balance that I can incorporate that through your spirit's help? Is there a technique, a tool? My dad is all about 
having on his phone these little set moments, like every hour or so, I'll hear this this little alarm that goes off. And when they stay with me, sometimes it drives me insane. I was like, what is going off in here? What is the alarm going Over on? and over and over? But he will do it to purposefully remember to just go. And there's something about that. I love that God has made us physical as well as spiritual people, right? And so there's something about the connection of the two where he breathes just the peace of the Lord in that wherever he is, and to remind himself to just, mm, and that does something physically as well as connect us back to the Father. Just a little prayerful moment. And then it goes on. I think maybe I should be doing that more maybe, and then I would be less, hey, where did you put the thing? After, you know, spending time, you know, <laughs> praying with people over the phone at my job <laughs> and then getting home and it's like, mommy is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde right now. I just like the... There's no way I'm going to find something anyway as descriptive as my wife as can be. Thing. But then, where'd you put the thing? Oh, no. What is the thing? And they know what the thing is. Uh, so I'll tell you a story of what I thought was an incredible display of love. And it's it's one I'll just tell you right now. It won't make you wait a week. But it's, it's my dad's story again. He goes to high school football games. Mm-hmm. Loves them. Will go anywhere. But it, typically, he goes to this small town that's near him. And... Over the few years, he he really likes being alone. To be honest with you, he doesn't like being bothered. He walks up and down, the, you know, wherever the ball is, he's following it. But he's met this one older gentleman at this small town that he goes to over the years because the guy's always there as well. And in fact, the guy the guy has grandkids that I think just graduated. They were on the team, or he was the grandkid was on the team. And my dad shows up and he's like, "Oh, you you still coming? Even though your grandkid graduated? Yeah." Oh, oh, okay. I'm going to have great grandkids here eventually. All right. You're in a long haul. What's ironic is that your dad doesn't yeah, have anybody there. He doesn't have anybody there. So what do okay. you, you know, the pot calling the kettle black here. <laughs> and um, over the past couple of years, that guy's been gone more. And my dad had a suspicion that it, it I think that guy's wife is sick. Oh. I think she might have dementia or something. Just with, just different clues and, mm-hmm. and, th- and stuff. So it was the first game of this season and they're just kind of chatting. I don't even know if they know each other's names, to be honest with you. Well, the statute of limitations after the first game, if you don't know, just pretend that both of you were good. Hey, this is, buddy. Uh, this is my buddy. Hey, you. This is my pal. Hey, me and my son. This is my, this is my pal here. Yeah. Otherwise, it just gets weird. <laughs> yeah. What is your name again? And the guy says to my dad, well, it probably won't be as uh, many games this season. Oh, yeah. How come? Well, my, my wife is uh, is is sick. She has stage four lung cancer, oh. and 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 the dementia. My dad had had thought with about the dementia, but he didn't know realize about the cancer and how bad the situation was. And he said, "I'm sorry to hear that." And they chatted about that for a second. And the guy says, "How old are you?" And my dad said he's in his sixties. And the guy reaches in his wallet and he pours up pulls out this little laminated card, and he hands it to my dad. And on it, 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 it says, it's from the official school, and it says no expiration date uh, for senior citizens, all, all games. This is an all-any-game pass with no expiration date. You can oh, use it wow. the rest of your life. That's so nice. And the guy looks at my dad, and he said, my wife's not going to be needing that anymore, and I want you to have it. Oh, my. And, you know, my dad is excited about the past, yeah, but yeah. what do you say in a moment like that? But just recognize there's so many things that guy could do that 
I might do, to be honest with you, hang on to it and hope that she's able to or hang on to it in memory of her, give it to a family member that might not even use it, but this needs to stay in the family. And this guy recognized, here's a person that comes to about every game. He's a guy that's going to use it. He's a guy that I like, and I just want to display this selfless act. It makes me think of the scripture that talks freely you have received, now freely give. Hmm. And God loves a cheerful giver and all those things. Oh, my word, it's so easy over the years, especially because you've lived your life and you have seen things slip through your fingers. The natural inclination, I think, is to grab it tighter. And again, just breathing, letting it go and recognizing what truly is eternal, what truly has value. The memories of his wife are what is priceless. Mm. And that's always with you. You know, that's that's a beautiful story. Thank you for your time today. Again, this is the Anything But Quiet Time podcast through HopeOnDemand.com. A ton of great stuff there for you. If you haven't stopped on over at HopeOnDemand.com. 